0: Thank you galen and again good morning to everybody and also good morning to those of you who are joining us at home and let me start out by saying happy mother's day and i hope you're feeling celebrated and appreciated if you are a mother here among us today uh, it is a special day like galen said all of us have a mother we have that in common and i like to approach mother's day um, with romans 12:15 in mind that we rejoice with those who rejoice And we also mourn with those who mourn. And I know that for many, this can be a very, very difficult day. Uh, If you are estranged from a child, if there's distance there, perhaps there's uh, death and loss. And my wife and I know the sting of infertility. So please know that we are rejoicing with those who rejoice. We also uh, mourn with those who mourn on Mother's Day. Well, my mother, and by the way, Happy Mother's Day, Mom, if you're watching right now. Uh, my mother raised a geek, okay? Now, I'm not talking about my athletic brother who got those athletic genes, I'm talking about me. As a matter of fact, whenever I was in college, I majored in electrical engineering, and the joke was, that's abbreviated EE, by the way, electrical engineering. The joke was you can't spell geek without double E. There's a lot of truth in that statement. And there is this thing called the Geek Squad. Has anybody heard of the Geek Squad? If you've got some kind of technical difficulty, you can reach out to the Geek Squad, and they are there to sort of make your problems just go away. You tell them what's going on, and they advertise themselves by saying, we're geeky, yes, but we also know what you're going through because nobody is more into technology than we are. You call them, they fix fixed your problem, and they go away. And sometimes I wonder do we treat God as though he were the geek squad. We have a problem, we call out to him, and we hope that he will just make the problem go away and then we will go about living life as if nothing had happened. When C.S. Lewis was a young man and he was about to lose his mother, he talks about approaching God this way. In his book, Surprised by Joy, it's his autobiography, He talks about his desire to go to God. And someone had said, if you just call out to God by faith, he'll give you whatever you're asking for. And he speaks about approaching God that way. He prayed for a miracle, and he says this. He says, I had approached God or my idea of God without love, without awe, even without fear. He was in my mental picture of this miracle to appear neither as savior nor as judge but merely as a magician and we had done what he was required to do I suppose he would just simply go away it never crossed my mind that the tremendous contract which i solicited should have any consequences beyond restoring the status quo anytime we expect god to fix our problems restore the status quo And then just go away so we can live without him. We are approaching God as though he were the geek squad. And the question I want us to grapple with this morning is, do I revere God? Do I revere God? And that word revere, since we're doing um, definitions this morning, revere means feel deep respect or admiration for something or, in our case, for someone. The passage we're going to look at this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 24, is an incredible depiction of a man who has deep, deep reverence for God. It's governing his actions in ways that we can scarcely begin to imagine. But there's so much for us to glean in 1 Samuel 24 as we see David working his way through this issue he has of Saul and how to deal with him, and then ultimately seeing God's wisdom shine through David as he spares Saul's life. I'm going to read the entirety of 1 Samuel 24, so feel free to remain seated as I read through the entire chapter, verses 1 through 22. Starting in verse 1, When Saul returned from, the, from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the King! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. "'And David said to Saul, "'Why do you listen to the words of men who say, "'Behold, David seeks your harm? "'Behold, this day your eyes you have seen "'how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave, "'and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. "'I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, "'for he is the Lord's anointed. "'See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand?' For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of of the ancients says, says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? after whom do you pursue after a dead dog after a flea may the lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand as soon as david had finished speaking these words to saul saul said is this your voice my son david and Saul lifted up his voice and wept he said to david you are more righteous than i for you have repaid me good whereas i have repaid you evil And you have declared this day how you have dealt well well with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel should be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul, then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. We're continuing to work our way through the entire book of 1 Samuel, watching this nation as they are receiving their first king. They received him in Saul, and then Saul broke his covenant with God, and now David is going to begin a new line. This is actually going to set up for the coming, ultimately, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And through David, we're seeing an incredible act of wisdom and reverence for God. Typically, when you talk about revenge and retaliation, you you spend your time talking about the motivation of forgiveness. However, this morning we see that the motivation for everything, what's governing the thoughts and actions of David, is this incredible reverence he has for God. So I want to approach the subject this way this morning. First, we'll see that reverence for God resists man's wisdom. It resists personal preservation. It pursues peace with an enemy. And then we'll talk about how does reverence overcome retaliation? Just some final thoughts in that section of how this passage can help us in our efforts to forgive and not retaliate against those who have sinned against us. So let's talk about that first part resisting man's wisdom. So in the first part of the passage, we see that Saul had grabbed about 3,000 men and he's combing the countryside looking for David. He sees them as this threat that has to be taken out. And he outnumbers David's men by about five to one. David has about 600 men at this point. So he's trying to Uh, eliminate david is trying to eliminate his men and as they're seeking he goes into this cave and this kind of odd verse that includes details sometimes we perhaps would rather not have but it says he goes into the cave to relieve himself some versions say that he went in to cover his feet now that's that's hebrew for he went to see a man about a horse okay that's what's going on in this cave he was extremely vulnerable at this point he would have laid down his weapons And he's in this cave, but unbeknownst to him, deeper in that cave in the pitch blackness is David and his 600 men. Now, they could have seen Saul come in clearly. They would have seen his silhouette. And then Saul, uh, in his vulnerability, would have been uh, without clothing, without a sword. And what happens? David begins to creep up on him. His men said, this is it. Can you see that you are being delivered, that Saul's being delivered into your hand? Reach out and take his life and we'll be done with this. Saul is not expecting what's going on. David is creeping up stealthily. And what does he do? He doesn't kill him. Rather, he cuts off a corner, the hem of Saul's robe. Now, a personal garment in the Near East at this time, the, the hems, the edges would have been extremely ornate there would have been uh, sometimes gems and accrusted uh, in there and sewn in so he cut off this most ornate part of what Saul had been wearing it could have been that he laid his robe off to the side but David even though he doesn't take Saul's life interestingly he becomes immediately convicted by what it was that he had done because by cutting off this piece of Saul's robe He's suggesting that he could have cut off Saul's reign just as easily. As a matter of fact, later on in the passage, that phrase, cut off, will be used again. It's a a motif, you could say, that the author is using through this. Saul did not want his house completely cut off. David could have cut it off at this point, but instead he cut off just part of the robe. and His act actually constituted this kind of mild rebellion against the authority of Saul. Then in verses six and seven, David explains himself. He said this to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. By the way, when you see the Lord spelled out in all caps like that in the scripture, that means they're they're translating the actual term Yahweh. It's the most reverential term. As a matter of fact, they would not speak it out loud, Yahweh. They would use Adonai in its place. But when you see all caps, you know that David is using that most holy word for God, Yahweh. It's Hebrew for I am. And that's how he's thinking. And he, in this case, he could not and did not succumb to the wisdom of man that was telling him, you need to go and in Saul's life right now. Now, this is a tremendous example of the wisdom of God coming in and shining through one man. You see, reverence for God helps us interpret the circumstances of life. This is very important. You see this in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and some disciples, they're arrested. They're out preaching the gospel. They get arrested. They're put in jail, and what happens? Then comes this earthquake. And it's so violent, it springs open the doors of the prison and it shakes loose the chains from their hands. Now, what would, what would you do in that moment? I think I'd be out of there. But they didn't do that because they looked, they saw the jailer just about to take his life. And they say, stop. We're still here. Now, that jailer, he would be publicly executed. Any of those men left, they held the jailer responsible. He decided, I'd rather just take my own life and be publicly executed. Paul says, don't do it. We're all still here. Now, why is that? Why didn't they just run out of there? I'll tell you why they didn't just run out of there. Whereas they could have interpreted this as an opportunity to save themselves, they saw this as an opportunity to share the love that they had, and to show and demonstrate to this jailer the love they had for him so much so that they were willing not to spare their own lives to demonstrate to this man, you don't have to commit suicide. We're going to show you the love of Christ right now by staying exactly where we are. Now, that is not wisdom of man. That is wisdom of God shining through. That's why this happened. Why would God continue to create mankind when he knew full, good, and well what we were going to do? Why did he do it? In eternity past, God decided how he would go about bringing about the redemption of man by he himself coming to the earth, putting on humanity. Why did he do that? He did that so we would know how deep the love of God is. That is reverence for God. Interpreting the circumstances that we encounter every day. It helps us. What happened to that jailer in Acts chapter 16, verse 30? The jailer speaks, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, that's what happens when reverence for God interprets our circumstances. Not our own wisdom, but godly wisdom. This is what happens people are saved. Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Man's wisdom would misinterpret, but reverence for God will resist the wisdom of man. And then we also see that reverence for God resists personal preservation. We've seen it before in the life of David, but David follows Saul out of the cave. Now, remember who this is. This is the guy that hurled a spear at him while he was just playing the harp for the guy. I asked Sam this in the first one. Sam, would you keep playing the piano for us if we were hurling spears at you? I mean, that's what's going on in this passage. And what happens? Look at verse 8. Afterward, David also rose and went out of the cave and, and called after Saul, my lord, the king. And look at what he does. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. He made himself 100% vulnerable to any attack that would have come from Saul, and he shows him honor, and he shows him the corner of this robe that evidently Saul didn't even know had been removed, proving that he could have taken his life, but he didn't. He confronts Saul over pursuing him and trying to take his life, and then look at verse 15. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand now why did david do this see he recognizes he's speaking to god's anointed one upon whom the holy spirit came whom god had placed as king and david sees no reason to take it upon himself to take anything from saul now do i think he was scared in that moment yeah i think he was scared in that moment I'm sure he was saying, what's he going to do to me? What's he going to do to my men? How are my men going to feel about this? He put all that aside. He wasn't out to preserve himself or his life or his way of life. And this is a radical way to think and to make decisions. It's It's a way that it doesn't just pursue comfort. Revering God so much so that it says, if discomfort comes, discomfort comes. If death comes it comes. Every disciple that followed Jesus Christ in the New Testament was tortured and killed except for John, who was put into exile on a rock. If you don't believe me that that this happens today, consider the life of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. You may know the name. There was an author named Tim Bascom. He wrote a book called The Comfort Trap, Spiritual Dangers in the Convenience Culture. And the author says in that book, first of all, that we're too comfortable to be spiritual. He says, we think we will be able to pursue God better without danger or hardship. He said it works the opposite way. Nothing is more difficult than to grow spiritually when comfortable. You see, oftentimes God in his grace will take away things that are making you comfortable. I don't like it. Nobody likes it. But sometimes the only way for you and I to grow in our faith is to take away those things that are slowing us down and holding us back. Solzhenitsyn, a believer, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a believer in Russia. He was exiled to a Soviet labor camp. And how did he speak about that Soviet labor camp? It was horrible. They were being starved in. He blessed it. And he said it was there that he discovered that the meaning of earthly existence... Lies not as we have grown used to thinking in prospering, but in the development of the soul. Now, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he could have chosen not to speak. He could have chosen not to speak up about his faith in Russia. He could have chosen not to do those things. He knew what was going to happen. But see, he revered God too much to stay silent. He didn't seek comfort or preserving his lifestyle. You see, sometimes it's necessary that we share our faith instead of hiding it because it makes us uncomfortable. Because we are the means by which God has chosen to make himself known to the world. And it's our honor that we get to share Christ with others to make him known. Because we revere him, we resist personal preservation and in addition reverence for god also pursues peace with an enemy it pursues peace with an enemy in the remaining part of chapter 24 we see saul become repentant for his behavior starting at verse 17 he said to david you are more righteous than i for you have repaid me good whereas i have repaid you evil and you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me and that you did not kill me when the lord put me into your hands For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. He was this murderous madman, bedeviled by an evil spirit. But look, because David took the course of action he did, God used it. God used it to even show Saul, look at how you've been behaving. And and we see peace brought to a situation, all motivated out of a deep sense of reverence and awe for God. You see, this is what the gospel has done for you and I. And as I understand that Jesus Christ came into the world, became a human, took on the sin of man, that in doing that, he made a way for peace, not just between us and God, but also among each other, among ourselves. That is why it's just, it's abhorrent that there'd ever be even a hint of racism among God's people. In Ephesians chapter two, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, Now, the the dividing wall at that time, the Jews and the Gentiles, they weren't getting along all that well, but Paul's saying, look, there should be no division between followers of Jesus Christ. If Christ himself is our peace, what in the world should ever come between us? Not a virus, not politics, nothing. Christ brought an end to the enmity between Races of people and, and everyone, if you've been watching the series The Chosen, you saw that last episode where Simon the Zealot, who is all about, no, we've got to raise up against Rome and destroy it, pitted against Matthew the tax collector who basically sold his soul to Rome. And Christ said, no, the two of you are coming together. I'm bringing you onto the same team and you're going to figure it out. It's not easy. It takes something supernatural to bring together what would naturally divide people, but we are people who do things naturally. We do things supernaturally because there's a supernatural God working in us and through us and indwelling us. What did David say? He didn't seek revenge. Instead, verse 15, May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. And see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. He knew God could be trusted to handle this. So a few final thoughts here. I want to zero in a bit on choosing reverence specifically over retaliation. What that can mean to us. In Romans 12, 19, Paul makes it clear beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord so what does that mean because there's someone out there that that you're struggling with guarantee it it's just true of human nature there's somebody out there perhaps there's been a a long time rift that's been happening it can be so subtle in christian circles it could be the silent treatment could be just lack of communication, could be gossip, could be slander. However that comes about, how do we go about leaving vengeance to God? Things we glean from this passage. First of all, trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. There was a a man that attended the same seminary that I did. And uh, he had a brother that was murdered. And they almost caught the guy, instead he escaped. Was on the run for 20 years. They finally caught up to him again. And he got out on a technicality. Now, how do you think that would feel? At the same time, God knows. He knows where he is. He knows what he's doing. He knows why he's running. I don't know why God would just let a guy like that go scot-free. But it happens. Right now, you're thinking of somebody. Why hasn't God brought the fire down on them yet? I've been waiting. Things happen according to God's perfect timing. David got this. You go back several centuries ago to the early, they called them the, the desert fathers. These were fourth century Christians in northern Africa. Among them was a, a man by the name of Saizé. He served as this sort of mentor for all these young men that were coming and listening to these These desert fathers, these theologians, that so many actually still have their writings today. But this young man comes in, and he was angry, and he blurted out to this father figure. He said, I was hurt by my brother in Christ, and now I'm angry, and I want to avenge myself. And the older man tried to comfort him and, and gave him a gentle warning and said, don't do that, my child. He said, rather leave vengeance to God. But the young man, he still refused to listen, Instead, he became even angrier and and loudly said, I will not quit until I get even. When he realized that this young man was not going to listen, he said, let's pray together. He knew it wasn't going to change the young man's heart. So they they paused, and then Saisei, he offered this prayer. He said, oh God, apparently we no longer need you to take care of us since we can now avenge ourselves. From now on, we can manage our own lives without your help. Now, do you see the difference? No, obviously we can't manage our lives. We don't know what we're doing on the best of days, usually. Don't take vengeance into your own hands. If that looks like the cold shoulder or the silent treatment, that's That's one of Chad's performed measures of punishment. We don't need to do that. Christ took the punishment. We don't need to avenge ourselves. Leave it to him. He knows what he's doing. He can work things out. And then secondly, focus on your own forgiveness. Focus on your own forgiveness. If you want to know who the worst sinner is in this room, just look on the stage, okay? Because at the age of 46, I'm just now starting to understand what a wretch I am and how sinful I am. Even when I thought I was quote-unquote good, I think I was under that delusion back in my 20s and now I'm pushing 50 and like, oh, that is so not true. Have you ever thought about what you had to be forgiven of? You know, people have said things to me that are just etched on my brain. I wish I could forget it. I can't. But what I got to remember is how many times have I said something to someone else that's etched on their brain? The pain I brought them, the hurt I brought them, and yet the forgiveness they have shown me. The kind of forgiveness that God has shown to you and I. Don't forget about your own forgiveness. Think about it, focus on it. And then finally, see others as God does. See others as God does. It's a work in progress. David was able to look at Saul and discipline his mind to say, this is God's anointed. Can you look at someone and say, this is a brother or sister, a forgiven sinner just like me, just as deserving as forgiveness or undeserving of forgiveness? We're just one beggar telling other beggars where to find food when we share the gospel. Can you see other people that way? As made in the image of God, deserving of respect, out of reverence for God, can we leave vengeance to God and then look at others the ways that he does? So putting this all together, revere God and trust his ways. Revere God and trust his ways. He's doing it. The perfect way and we don't always understand why that works out the way it does and we've got no greater picture of reverence for God than in the story of Jesus Christ and the Bible says to Christians in Colossians chapter 1 21 and 22 once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you, present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation the only reason you and I can stand in the presence of God is because we have been made holy. And because Jesus died the death, you should have died through your, through your faith in Jesus. God will reconcile you, every part of you, from the eyes to the spleen, so you can stand holy before God, free from accusation. Only by faith in Jesus Christ can we do this. Please pray with me. God, we thank you that you loved us this much. And God, I pray that we would always approach you as holy and awesome and mighty with a great sense of reverence, and that we would obey you, that we would revere you, that we would have a sense of awe, that we would never treat you as, as a guide on the side or come to you expecting to be a magician that we would trust you in all things, that we would trust you with the act of revenge, God, that only you truly know someone, that only you can bring about what should be brought about, God, that we can let go of our petty need to punish somebody else. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I do want to make one quick announcement. Uh, After... We seem to be crawling out of the whole COVID mess, and by the grace of God, our budget has uh, this year gone as we had hoped. So for that reason, we've reconsidered uh, the timing of looking for an associate pastor. We were going to wait till closer to the end of the year, but as things are shaping up well, we've decided to go ahead and begin that search now. So I would ask you to please be praying as we form our search committee and find out who God's man would be for us at this time. If you're in need of prayer this morning, please feel free to come to the front and both myself and some of the other other elders will be here uh, and we can pray with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful Sunday. Happy Mother's Day. You're dismissed.